this weekend, our pastor Chris is with his special bride of 30 years. This is their 30th anniversary, and uh, aren't we uh, thankful that we have? Yeah. We've got a pastor that is an incredible shepherd and an incredible equipper teaching us the truth. So I just want to pray for them and our time. Bow with me. Father, we come to you with full hearts of thankfulness. We're thankful for a pastoral staff. We're thankful for our lead pastor who continues to love his wife so well, us incredibly, and uh, all those that surround him in this world. Thank you, Father, that he's got a tremendous witness in this community. Father, give them a special weekend, a one of a rejuvenation, refreshment, and uh, thank you for them. Thank you now for your truth as we consider and ponder this new year. Father, we really need you to help us with our thoughts. Thank you that we're not left to ourselves. You've given us truth to transform us in this new year. So thank you, Father, for that. May your spirit be our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do this morning is uh, simply give you six points to ponder. Six points or principles to apply to grow your spiritual life. That's what I'd like to do. And then at the end, I'm really going to encourage you, having looked at these six, to say, yes, Lord, this is one I really want to work on. You and I, that's what you've shown me in this time. So I'm going to give myself to it. And uh, so let's begin with these six. And uh, the first one has to do with our relationship with the Lord. And the number one is to develop a deep devotion to Jesus Christ. When I say a deep devotion, it's something that Paul was very concerned about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he actually says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Now, we think, well, that's, that, that's high and holy talk. I, I, I think that fear may be a bit misplaced. I'm going to say to you that it's no different than in a marriage because it's a relationship. And that relationship can erode very gradually if we don't work on it. And uh, you'll never guess what happened, but when John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos writes the Revelation in chapters 2 and 3, he brings to bear uh, those seven churches that uh, represent churches today, but were actual churches in that day. And notice that the first church he mentions is a church at which he spent over three years on his third missionary journey. And it was such an effective church. And uh, it says in Acts 19, verse 10, that they actually went from that church and that area of the Lycus Valley, they went throughout all of Asia Minor with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind. This was a model church, the church at Ephesus. Timothy was a pastor there in that first century. Now, look at chapter 2 with me at Ephesus and see what actually happened. It's going to appear in just a moment. Okay, I'm going to look it up in Revelation chapter 2. But it, it uh, actually says that the church at Ephesus 
was, it, there it is, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. Keep in mind, they had great discernment because they had so much truth. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. We have that today. A lot of people are deceiving others with these supernatural powers, but that, that happened in that day. And they are not and found them to be false. So notice that he has, that they have discernment. They put out those evil guys. They said, you're heretics. We're not going to put up with you. And then secondly, they have perseverance. They, they, they handled pressure and stayed with it tenaciously. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Incredible if we just stop there. But is it possible to be deceived and to allow the relationship, the personal, intimate relationship with Jesus to dissolve, erode? We see that here. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They've allowed that relationship to move toward religion rather than intimacy in a relationship. That can happen in a marriage. It can happen in our walk with Jesus Christ. We want to address that. As we enter into 2024, how can I keep that vital, fresh, like the altar in Leviticus chapter 6, no less than three times in that old book of offering, burnt offering and altars. They were told, keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning. Keep the fire burning as people want to make an offering and draw near to God, literally in the Hebrew. We are to keep the fire burning, that intimate warmth and closeness and nearness to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not just doing these things, it's involved in a relationship in which we're overwhelmingly loved and valued. And that is our motivation. Because when we feel loved, when we feel that there's a lot of worth in, in us that he places upon us, then we're motivated to live for him. Not out of duty, but out of, I just want to, to say thank you for all that he has done. But it's very possible for you to fall into the trap of the Ephesians. Doing the right things, but no delight, just duty. Not good. So what we're going to talk about just for a moment, how do we... How do we keep the fire burning? What do we do in order to, to uh, stoke the embers that Paul talked about in 2 Timothy chapter 1? Timothy, stoke the embers. Don't let that gift die down. Don't uh, recede. Just jump. Come on, let's go. You've got a gift given to you. We want you to use it. Well, I'm just going to say this. Focus on the heart. Not the duty. Not the hand. The heart. In Psalm 51... Verses 16 and 17, you have David saying this, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. Now you got to catch this, people, because this is a sacrificial Jewish system. The whole book, Leviticus, all those chapters are written to be very specific about how you approach God outwardly with offerings and sacrifices. And God says through David, it's not the outward that I'm most concerned about. It has always been the inward. I like uh, Isaiah 66 too. But to this one I will look. To the one who is humble 
and broken and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. People, it's always about the internal. It's always about the intimacy in a relationship. That drawing, that longing, that, that, uh, that warmth that is within your soul for the one who gave you new life. It's not the external, because the external should be an overflow of the internal intimacy, just like in my marriage. And so we want to focus on the intimate development and continuance of that relationship with Jesus Christ. I think of 2 Timothy 2.1. Paul's talking to Timothy, his very last book, and he says, hey, Timothy, let me remind you, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace saves you, but it strengthens you. The fact that he did for us what we could not do, nor did we deserve it, that should create in you such a warmth and a, and a pleasing sensation that I, I am loved and I want to express that to him. Now, there are a couple of verses that I particularly like that I want to encourage you with. Uh, one is found in Isaiah, and it's chapter 49. You want to know what I do? I've got to get into the Word, and I've got to see what he says about my value and how much he loves me. Without that, I'm a real mess. In Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 15, God is talking about this world and he says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? And you say, no way, no way. But God is saying, even humanity can forget its nursing young. Living in Houston 42 years, we saw children cast into bins. They can forget, but God is quick to say, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. It's so wonderful to know that I am beloved, that I am loved just as I am. There is no ambivalence by God. There is no uh, uh, this. He is a consistent, constant lover of me. And what he does to demonstrate it is put it into words, uh, making God almost with human characteristics. He says, you know what? Bob, I've done something with you. I've actually written your name on the palms of my hands. But that's not the word he uses, written. He uses the word engraved. There's a permanence about engraved. So he's actually engraved my name on his hands and yours too as you know Jesus Christ, his son. And, and he sees us all day long. And what that reminds me of, Psalm 40, verse 5, the more his thoughts toward you and me are more numerous than the sands of the sea. The granules of sand on all the collective beaches of the world, those thoughts are... are are less than his thoughts toward me. And they're innumerable. So I am loved by him. And I need that for the renewal of my mind. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We need that kind of stuff, people. You know what else we need? We know, we need to know that we have value. We want a sense of significance about us. Well, there's seven parables in Matthew 13, and, and uh, our Lord in his teaching makes it very, very clear. 
verses 45 and 46 of Matthew 13, that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold everything and bought it. You and I are that single pearl for which he went to the cross and purchased us at a very high price. Jesus Christ has given me love and he's given me worth. Isn't that incredible? Do we need to be renewed in that? That's what I'm saying. That's the way we do it. In order to really develop and continue in that intimacy, we've got to pour over the scriptures which transform us in our thinking. That's what the Lord would have us do. Develop in that intimacy. Here's a quote by a great church man of years past, Oswald Chambers. He said, the key to the Christian life is not found in what I do for God or in what I know about God. It's found in the, there's that word, the intimacy that I have with Jesus and the qualities as a result of that relationship. That's the one thing God has called me to and the one thing that will constantly be under attack in your life. That's what Paul was afraid of for the Corinthians, that they would be misdirected, that they would be distracted, and no longer would they be filled with that joy and thankfulness. I am loved, I have value, but they just do their Christian stuff. You can be discerning and make right decisions. You can be persevering and stay the course, but you can lose that love, and we want to keep that burning, that altar burning throughout this year in 2024. You're going to slip up, but you come back to this continually, your value and your love. So the first thing I'd like to say is, let's develop that intimacy. Let's develop that devout walk with Jesus Christ. Don't make it a religion. Make it personal. Make it a relationship. That's what it's meant to be every day of this coming year. Number two, number two, relationships matter. There's a verse of scripture that uh, arrested my attention for sure. It's in First uh, Timothy 1.5. There wasn't a more educated, learned man in Christianity than the Apostle Paul. He was talking about Gamaliel. He was kind of the king of the pharisaical school that was a, kind of a, what we would call Harvard here in the U.S. It was just at the top. It's the elite stuff. And Paul was trained by Gamaliel. And so Paul gave himself to being right, revealing the revelation of God. But toward the end of his life, two years before Second Timothy and the beheading on the Ostian Road, west of Rome, the apostle Paul said this, the goal of everything I've ever taught, the goal of every instruction, sermon, teaching I've ever given you, the goal of it all is love from a pure heart and a blameless conscience and a sincere faith. People, relationships matter. I, I spent most of my life being right in truth. Went to Dallas Seminary, two years old in the Lord. 
So I was 21 years old when I graduated from college, went to Dallas Seminary, not to be a pastor, but because I really wanted to learn the Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, you know, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Lord of truth. Man, I gave myself to accuracy. I studied the scriptures in the original language, all that kind of stuff we had to do for four years. Paul says the goal of our instruction is love. When I was there, the motto was second. Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. In the Greek, we'd see it every day, you know. It was preach the word. Do you know the Dallas Seminary has changed their motto? No, they haven't gotten away from the word. But now it's teach truth, love well. People, that's what we need to do. Yeah, let's be accurate. But relationships take precedence over just being right. We can be right and we don't have to compromise. We don't have to have conflict over what's truth. We're secure in it, but let's love in the process, especially in the home. I have learned some pretty important lessons about that. And let me tell you about relationships. I just will never forget this. In July of 2018, I had back surgery. I had four nerves that were really messed up and I got to a point where I couldn't walk so I had to have the back surgery laminectomy and he carved out all this arthritis you know I don't want to go into it makes me sick thinking about it but I couldn't walk I couldn't walk and one of the guys in this church oh Newt Farah he called me up and he said Bob I'd just like to drop by I said Newt I'd love it when Newt came by, he did not drop all the scripture on me. He just said, you want to go for a walk? I said, I don't know how well I can do, Newt, but I'd love that. He came by just to love me and walk with me, to be with me where I was. And I had one of those crazy, you know, metal walkers. Have you seen them? You know, some people really adorn them with tennis balls. And here I am just kind of, you know, like this. And Newton and I just had the greatest time. And I came back, tears were in my eyes because he loved me where I was. Relationships matter, people. Being right is important in the truth. But it doesn't take precedence. We've got to love people with truth. Love and truth together. Now, number three. Boy, is this practical stuff. These are things that really affect me and will affect me in 2024. This is what I'm saying. We've got to live this way. Bob's got to live this way. Don't reason with temptation. Run from it. If you reason, you're choosing to lose. Whenever you reason, you weaken. And finally, the snake bites you. So you don't do that. You run. You flee from temptation. You know, Joseph, what an example. By the way, I love that guy from a leadership standpoint, from a training, you know, James 1 trials and tribulations and all that stuff that God takes us through. It's just so chuck full of truth is life. 13 chapters, more than, it's 27% of the book, the foundational book 
of the Bible. That's how important Joseph is. I like chapter 39 because here's this guy that's chiseled out. You know, I mean, the guy spent an awful lot of time at 24-hour fitness. This is Joseph. I want you to turn or just look up here in a moment. But in chapter 39, Joseph is, you know, he uh, was 17 when his brothers cast him into the, into the pit. They left him for dead. They were jealous of the dreams, and his, he was his father's favorite. So he is in this pit. The Midianites buy him from the uh, brothers, and uh, they sell him to Potiphar in Egypt. And so look at him. Now he's working for Potiphar in chapter 39, verse 6. And I just wanted you girls to see this. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Wow. I mean, this guy stepped out of GQ as a model. He, had, he was built. I mean, in Texas, right, he was a stud. This guy was something else. And he was really desired by a woman that had way too much time on her hands. You know the lint truffles? Christmas? She indulged greatly in those and also the Hallmark movies. I'm certain of it. You know, Hallmark movies, you can be a prophet because you can, without having the gift, you know exactly where they're going before they ever even begin. Anyway, so way too much time on her hands. So she looked at him with a busy, busy, busy captain of the guard husband, Potiphar. And she said, lie with me to this young stud. Now, let's pick up the story. In verse 8, he refused and said to his master's wife, behold with me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house and has put all that he owns in my charge. Verse 9. But there's no one greater in this house than I except for him, and he's withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Keep in mind the things that he did in verse 8 and verse 9. Number one, he refused. He did not reason with sin and temptation. And then he, he respects authority is something I jotted down. He respected what his boss had said to him. Everything you have access to except my wife, no hands on her. Got it? Yes, sir. Respected authority. He did not take of another's for his own pleasure. And then he also, he says, how can I do this great evil? Extramarital sex is sin, evil and sin against God with whom we have to do. We're not just talking about a man upstairs. We're talking about God Almighty, the sovereign maker of heaven and earth with whom we have to do. So Joseph was an incredible person. And unfortunately, what he had done by refusing and saying these things about sin and evil and all that, it didn't make a scratch, you would say. It didn't make a dent in, in what was going to happen. She was so determined that in, in verse 12, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. Now, she's really aggressive here. This is a cougar. <laughs> this is an older woman getting this 18-year-old guy that is cut, you know. I mean, this guy's sharp. And so she tries to lie with him, and guess what he does? Just He didn't just refuse... He ran, he ran. 
she was holding on to his garment, you know, Joseph's coat of many colors, probably, you know, silver and gold threading and all that kind of stuff, very expensive. And she kept that and all that kind of stuff. But the point of it is, she used it to accuse him. And he was unjustly accused. He took off. He ran. Listen, people, you've got to do the same thing. You have got to run from temptation. It says that we are to fight for the faith, but we're to flee from the flesh. That I would get. In Jude chapter 3, contend for what you believe from a Christian standpoint and what God has said about who Jesus is, you be clear about that and you contend with others in a loving way, speak the truth in love. <coughs> Excuse me, but when it comes to the flesh, you take off. You know, things like bluebell. If you really have a, a longing for bluebell and you eat too much of it, like I like to do, or how about pornography? Man, you got to really watch out for that stuff. That stuff will take you down on Facebook. If you see one of those things, TikTok is so sharp that they just start multiplying them before your eyes so that you really sunk the battleship. And uh, you gotta, you got to look out for all this stuff. Alcohol, it's one thing to just be moderate, but sometimes moderation eludes us and consumption overcomes us. We have to be so careful with these things. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, to abstain. Abstain from fleshly lusts. The Greek word for lust doesn't refer just to physical body, longing to be with another human physically. No. It, also, it just talks about an out-of-proportion passion. Something, you know, like alcohol that seems to relax you and then it goes way too far. Something like food that you indulge to satisfy that hole within your heart called depravity. We're to abstain from those fleshly lusts which weigh war against the soul. And they will attack you and they're incessant in their barragement. You've got to keep from that kind of stuff. Now let me tell you what not to do. Wisdom from 1 Peter 2.11. If I have a problem with bluebell... <clears throat> And, and I, I always have. Can I just confess that? Uh, I lived in Houston, and we would run the 10Ks over at Brenham. And there's only one reason why I ran those 10Ks. It's because they, they at Bluebell Factory, would d just back their big semis up for all these people that ran. And then we could just have all and any of the stuff that they had. Well, the problem... You know, when you run a lot, you can deal with it pretty well. And so it doesn't seem to be such an observable thing. But now it really creates a Dunlap disease. And you know what that is, Dunlap over the belt. You got to really be careful with just giving yourself to indulgence. Now, here's what you don't do. The scriptures say abstain. So I'm going to encourage you with this one. Abstain does not mean... <clears throat> to bow down before your freezer in the garage and ask God for strength to resist bluebell. That is not abstaining. In fact, that's really stupid. I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> to abstain is to get rid of it. If it's some beverage in the cabinet or if it's some half gallon that's brown rim with higher butter fat, 
<clears throat> and it's a problem, you get rid of it, you remove it, you abstain completely from it. Romans 13, 14, no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So get rid of it and abstain from it. Don't reason with it, people. And I say this because pornography is huge. It's huge. It's attacking us. Everything we turn on in TV, it's just, it wasn't, it, when I grew up, it was like, well, we shouldn't see that. Now it's how much you're going to put up with. How much will you compromise? It's a real problem for all of us. So please fight for the faith, but flee from the flesh. All right, let's give you another one here. Number four. And I learned this from one of the wisest men I've known. He was an elder in our church. And uh, Jerry, he was really old, really old. He's like 55. And uh, at least when I was low 30s, I thought that guy's really, you know, he's been around a long, long time. And uh, Jerry was a VP with Texaco. And he was a guy that passed on to me this. Never get alone with your own thoughts. Get alone with God's thoughts. Isn't that great? Do you remember what Colson read from Lamentations 3? What a perfect example, classic example of it. Jeremiah was weeping. That's what lament means. Follows Jeremiah. He wrote it. He is just torn up inside. He's grieved to the, <coughs> to the level of uh, just uh, being, being just caught in, in contrition and, and sadness because his temple, the place of, wor- of worship, and the city, the place of the Lord's dwelling, eventually, you know, it's, it's the holy city of Zion, and it, it's been destroyed, and he's sitting there, and he sees all that, and he's just distraught. He's miserable. And chapter 3 up through about 18 describes all the things that he was observing and it was just woe is me he's turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces he has made me desolate talking about God and we get alone with our thoughts and when we do we destruct he made the arrows of his quiver to enter in my inward places He bent his bow and sent me as a target for the arrow. Man, I am just the victim of this. I am ripped up by this. Arrows have pierced me deeply. I feel like I'm dying. That's what he's saying. But then everything changes in verses 19 and 20. And he begins to think about God's thoughts. And those things are so captivating to him and transforming that that really occurs. He's renewed in his mind. And that's where we get that wonderful verse that we memorized in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail no matter how bad conditions and circumstances are. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. People, don't get alone with your own thoughts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. And then Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. The only way you're going to know God's will for your life is if you're in the word of God, not alone with your own thoughts. Got to get in scripture. 
So don't get along with your own thoughts. Okay. Let me give you two more. Number one, and I'll go quickly with these. I've got a I look out here. I, I saw a couple of my grandsons come in here. They want to see if Gramps really can preach. I love these guys. I want to talk to a generation here. And gentlemen, please hear me. Be a man. Be masculine. That's my fifth point. Be a man. Be masculine. You know what masculinity is? It's, I got this from Larry Crabb, Dr. Crabb. Stepping into chaos with courage to bring order. Adam didn't do that. And because of the silence, Adam going dark, longing for respect rather than to obey God, he took down all of creation, Romans 8, 22 to 24. And everyone is now living in fear. Humanity, all animals. Because he did not exercise manhood the way he was supposed to. Manhood is not how much weight you can put on the bench press. Masculinity is taking the initiative to step into chaos with courage. Men would much rather go to where there's a debit and a credit sheet, where we can figure it out and life is more logical. Relationships are not logical. Relationships are messy, people. Families are messy. But God has called me as a man to say to my wife, even after all these years of marriage, honey, I can't figure this thing out. We're having a conflict. Let's sit down and talk. That's all it takes. You have, and you know, it's honestly, she's 95% wrong and I've got to still do that. <laughs> have you ever felt that way, guys? Why doesn't she say it? Not just my way, but the right way. That's masculinity. We need to raise a generation, a new generation that says, I'm going to step into difficulty. I'm going to address it. I don't know what to say, but I'm going to say something like, let's talk. That's what it takes. Initiative. Initiative on your part. Resolve conflict. And you can't do that on the phone. You got to do it in person. Come on, let's do that. Men, let's rise out of this passivity. We have a pandemic of passivity. And we got to show them the right way, the way God meant us to be, to take the initiative to be masculine. Last one. Last one. Giving. I want to talk about giving, not because anyone asked me to, that's on the church staff. I didn't like the whole concept. I didn't become a Christian until I was 19. But I grew up in a Baptist church, and it seemed like they were always asking for my money. This church is not that way. So I'm so glad that it's much more grace-oriented. But I, I started learning the scriptures. But when I came to Jesus Christ at 19, my life was transformed. And I saw giving as something personal. Now hear me. Not just to a church, but to people who were actually serving Jesus Christ on the mission field or they were going to go on, on some summer camp uh, excursion or whatever it was. Or some, it could just be a need that you see and you're not worried about a tax deduction. But I got involved in giving on a personal level where it was tangible, not to just a big 
edifice, you know, or an institution. And it transformed me, and I want to encourage his parents to get your kids involved at that level to save money and to be able to encourage others. And when you do that, when you do that, something happens in your life. Not only are you, is greed reduced, but satisfaction is increased. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Let's experience that, that satisfaction of giving and meeting others. Again, I'll say this very quickly. It is the only antidote to greed I know, giving. Remember, greed is what Rockefeller said. How much is enough? His response, just a little bit more. That's greed. We've got to examine ourselves, protect ourselves, and giving is the only way. But what Paul tells the Philippians is something that I have right here. It is your best insurance policy. It was probably his favorite church. Ephesus was a model church, but Philippi had given to him, he says, in chapter 4, writing from Roman prison, first imprisonment. He says, you know, you've given to to my needs more than twice on my missionary journeys. More than twice. You guys are exemplary in that. Then he turns around in verse 19, and you know what he says? My God, notice the personal nature of that. My God will supply all your needs. You've supplied mine. Watch my Father turn around and respond in kind to your needs. That's your insurance policy. People, you give toward genuine needs and others that are serving Christ, and you watch, and, and not necessarily just serving Christ, but you're giving to help other people, and that's pre-evangelism also. But anyway, so you give to meet others' needs, and, and, and according to riches and glory, Christ is going to meet your needs. That's incredible. And you've got to be careful of this. You've got to really be careful of money because it's, uh, it's, it really captivates us and it captures our emotion and our decision-making ability. I, uh, I want to close with this. Then I'm going to ask you something personal. Which one grabs you of the six? Get ready for that. Here's a story about a rabbi and a uh, wealthy, older, miserable man. He came to see the rabbi one day and the rabbi took him by the hand and he took him over to the window and he said, what do you see as he's gazing out the window? I see men. I see women. I see children. Takes him by the hand and he says, come over here. And he puts him right in front of a mirror. And he said, what do you see? He said, well, I, I see myself. And then he said, the window and the mirror are both made of glass. But one you put silver on that glass the only thing you see is yourself we got to be so careful you guys continue to give as the spirit of God develops you in your spiritual life give to say thank you don't give to get give to build others up and it's an incredible experience so here are the six here are the six Develop that intimacy with Jesus. Relationships really matter. Run from temptation. Never get alone with your own thoughts. Get alone with God's thoughts. For us men, young men, be masculine. Step into chaos with courage. And giving is the best insurance policy you can have on this planet. God engages with those who really give and supplies all their needs. Which one do you want to work on? Tell me, please, not out loud, which one do you want to work on? 
can't work it all in all six at the same time. But which one do you feel God has said, let's work on this one together? Look at that list. Do you see it? Have you selected one? Now let's pray. Father, we come before you in great need. We're really inadequate. We boast of that. We trip and so often and we need you to pick us up and you're doing that right now. You love us. We have great worth to you. You instruct us. You place us in relationships that help uphold us. And Father, you love us without ceasing. We tell you right now, this is the one we want to work on. Would you help us, Father? And we know that you're going to. We want to walk with you in 2024. Grow us deeper in our intimacy with Jesus more than anything else so that we may live a life of thank you and glorify you with everything we say and do. We ask for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.